ran out to school. The teacher is teaching the golden rule. American history and practical man. You study him hard, hoping to pass. Working your fingers right down to the bone. And the guy behind you won't leave you alone. Ring, ring goes the bell. Now back you for talk out of school. Get me off on my say yo. Hello to the Tribe of Love, listening to today's broadcast of Talk Out of School. Bienvenidos a todos, bienvenidos mi familia. Welcome my family, WBAI listeners. My name is Daniel Alicea. My pronouns are he and his, and I am the proud son of Manny and Alma. And I welcome you today to another episode of Talk Out of School. I'm coming to you once more from WBAI listener-sponsored, locally-controlled, non-commercial radio in New York City. We are found on 99.5 FM on your radio dial. This is a Pacifica radio station, and we are also being live-streamed on WBAI.org. At Talk Out of School, we focus on the issues affecting public schools and public education here in New York City, on the state level, and nationally. And if you would like to download a podcast of this episode later, you can find us on the WBAI archives or on Apple or Spotify. As always, we have a great show lined up for you today. Later in the show, I will share some audio clips from the voices that spoke at the People's Budget Campaign Rally earlier this week. Before this, I will speak with Dr. Starita Ansari about her community education work surrounding her organization, The New Three R's, which teaches black history, responsive philanthropy, and rewarding grants from youth, giving circles to those most impacted by racial inequities, and critical race theory for studying racial inequities. She is the real deal, and the accolades are many. Indiana University, Purdue University, Indiana, prestigiously named Dr. Starita Ansari as one of the global top 10 black female philanthropists. Dr. Ansari is a scholar and author whose expertise is the economics of discrimination and education inequity. Dr. Ansari's work has been recognized by the W.K. Kellogg Foundation, the Association of Black Women in Higher Education, the American Association for Higher Education, the American Association of University Women, and the Ford Foundation. Dr. Ansari's expertise are program design and evaluation, responsive philanthropy and strategic planning. Her passion is responding to the systems and beliefs that prevent racial equity. Dr. Ansari has led many initiatives in the public and private sectors. She secured $41.2 million for a new science center and residential hall at Cheney University, America's first black higher education institution. Through the guidance of former First Lady Barbara Bush, Dr. Ansari secured a transformative gift of $2.5 million for a national literacy program designed to teach incarcerated youth literacy and self-worth. Years later, this seminal program remains part of the education program in select prisons. As Deputy Executive Director of New York City's Mission Society, Dr. Boyce designed an AmeriCorps Violence Prevention, which is ranked 10th in the nation by the President Clinton administration. In 2017, she founded the New Three R's, and she is here to talk about that work. I'm on the line with Dr. Starita Boyce Ansari. She is an edutech innovator and global workforce developer for the New Three R's. 
She has a storied career as a social and racial justice advocate, as a scholar, as an author and philanthropist. In 2017, Dr. Sarita Ansari founded the new three R's, Teaching Black History, Responsive Philanthropy, and Critical Race Theory. Dr. Ansari, as she described to me in a text, is a black female, and she asks us to join her in creating a more perfect union as she empowers children, regardless of faith or race, to invest in black lives in Africa, the Caribbean, and the United States. Welcome, Dr. Ansari, to Talk Out of School. Thank you for having me. And so, Dr. Ansari, can you tell our listeners a little bit more about your organization, the three R's, and how it came about? 2015, our son, Blake, had a nightmare. And he said, when... Donald Trump says he wants to make America great again. He wants to go back to the days of people spitting on Ruby Bridges. And he, my, our son was drenched in sweat and crying. I held him tightly, and I told him that that will never happen. And he said, it already is happening. They see us differently. And that was a wake-up call for me. Uh, he was only five years old uh, when he had that nightmare. Then in 2016, before my dad passed through the pearly gates, he told me that his grandson is going to be living in an America that he never experienced in his life. And that I need to prepare his sugar plum dumpling, which is a a Bayesian term for the world ahead of him. But I didn't think Trump was going to win. I mean, I, as an academic and as a scholar, I was following the hate crime data that has been increasing since President Obama um, became president. But I didn't think that Trump was going to become president of the United States. And my background, as you, as you mentioned, is in the study of the economics of discrimination and education and equity. And I know what racism is like as a scholar, but it's different knowing what racism is like as a black woman, as a black woman of a black boy. And my successes have been many. I used to be an executive in higher ed. Barbara Bush helped me secure a $2.5 million gift for a school and, and a program that I was working on, rather, at a school. And I was standing outside waiting for Blake to come out. And a child asked me if I were another child's nanny. Now, there's nothing wrong being a nanny, but the fact that that white child only could see me as a nanny. The fact that he could not ever envision my face on the NASDAQ tower for the work that I have done. And things are getting worse. You know, the data shows that America's schools are worse than in the 50s and the 60s, and that hate crime has become a deadly epidemic. And we used to think about 
you know, racism as in the South. But if anyone were to look at the FBI reports, now New York, California, Pennsylvania, and Ohio are on that list among states that are very racist. And it's that research that, that shapes what I do and the, and the founding of the new three R's. And I, and I, want, I want our listeners to hold on to something. The American Psychological Association says that racism has shaped and undermined almost every aspect of the United States, including its laws, its educational systems. It has weakened our politics. It has weakened civics. Racism intersects with everything, gender and economics, in a way that it compounds and oppresses people. To eradicate racism, we must understand what it is, how it operates, who it benefits, who it harms, and with the knowledge that many white people who do not personally harbor racial ideas, nonetheless, they benefit from racism. And that was a study, I'm reading from a study on January 2021. And you know, affirmative action, I thought, was for us, for me. But affirmative action has benefited white women. And diversity, equity, inclusion has benefited Latinx and Asians. You know, 3% of CEOs are Asians, 4% are Latinx, and only 1% are black. And, you know, everyone is talking about social-emotional learning as the model for everything. But it's not fixing racism. And so when I take the data and I take my experiences and my son's experiences, I decided to follow the research of Dr. Kunjufu and the research of the American Psychological Association because nobody can ignore black pain. And New York is the most segregated school district in the nation. And that alone was enough for me to start the new three R's. I went to Gail Brewer, and she gave us funding for the website and funding for our free Black History newsletter. She is the only entity that has supported our work. And um, in 2020, we launched our online family program, teaching sixth and 10th grade graders Black History, Critical Race Theory, Civics, and Responsive Philanthropy. And our families, they're white, they're Asian, they're black, they're Latinx, they live in penthouses, they live in public housing. What they all share in common is that they want a better life for black people. And they understand racism is systemic. And so the new 3Rs children are the youngest racial justice philanthropists awarding grants to black-founded organizations in the United States and Africa. And I'm proud of this innovation. It hasn't been easy, but I'm not giving up because our children deserve that more perfect union. So what are you mentioned some of the family initiatives 
what are some of the family or public school initiatives that the new three R's is either currently endeavoring in or is seeking to endeavor in um, that you really want our audience to know about? Well, we are deliberately in an, an online program. And we are that so we can bring people together. And so one of the, the things that we do is that, you know, we understand that black boys are only 18% of the pre-K system, but yet they're 41% of the suspension. And so we are creating a safe space for educators to learn black history with their children and for families to learn black history. And we, there's no other way to do that in New York because it's so segregated, but to be an online program. Well, beyond that, only 3% of educators in the United States are black. Um, are teachers prepared to teach the black Holocaust as well as the contributions that blacks have given the world? No, they're not. Um, do teachers need a safe space to learn about the contributions blacks have given to the world and to have a conversation about the black Holocaust? Yes. And that's how we provide that by being in an online program. So if a teacher doesn't have a child, she may, she or he may have a cousin or may have a younger sister. So it's important that we follow the, the research of the American Psychological Association and American Psychiatric Association by you know, reaching out to children before high school. One of the things about the work that we do is that critical race theory has resulted in Jasper, who's a student, wanting to create a petition about racism in the cocoa industry and what American corporations are doing in terms of enslaving children to pick Coco, is that something that would be taught in a school and part of the curriculum? I don't think so. Everyone's concerned about children understanding that racism is systemic, that it pops up in healthcare, it pops up in housing, it's in education. But the story I just told you of Jasper, by teaching children that, teaching them CRT, they become better citizens because they start working towards that more perfect union that President Obama mentioned in his speech because they're going to advocate for the least of these. They're going to advocate for black lives around the world. And that's what we do. And that's, that's, that's our mission. The other thing is that our children awarded uh, um, a grant to Color of Change and we are looking at relationships in South Africa, having a conversation about can we get funding to, to teach about South Africa after apartheid 
and United States after the civil rights. That curriculum that we would share with South African families and we would share with families in the United States. The other project that we have, and once again, thanks to Gail Brewer, we are in the process of animating black history for pre-K to fifth graders. And we're currently looking for educators who are interested in being evaluators on the curriculum that, that we produce. It sounds like amazing work. Before we Thank talk, you. we talk a little bit about critical race theory, there's a lot of misconceptions out there about what it is and what it's not. Can you tell our listeners about the three R's? What are the three R's? Oh, through the art. So even though art starts with an A, you hear the R sound. Through the art of social justice storytelling, we build relationships and a sense of responsibility. And that sense of responsibility and relationships, are they are important, but also through the art of storytelling. See, our historian, he's a griot. He has 10,000 Black History artifacts, and everybody loves storytelling. We're not sitting there telling children, you have to memorize this data and that fact because we're going to test you. No, we're telling you how beautiful and bold and brilliant Black people are all around the world. And they were also helping you understand that there are some racial inequities. And they understand that and they see that at a very young age when we help them understand how racism shows up in, in healthcare, how it shows up in, in equitable education systems. And our babies, they don't want that. They want everybody to eat at the plate and have the same amount. And that's the work that we're doing. That's why now you have our children, the new three arts children, asking to, to start this campaign. And Color of Change is joining them on the cocoa industry because they see the, the systemic racism that exists and how people are profiting off of the lives of black people. Can you tell our listeners there's been a lot of political discourse on critical race theory and there's a lot of misconceptions out there and it, a lot of it has become very inflammatory and we're seeing even legislation fighting um, CRT. Can you tell our listeners, give them a grasp for what it is, what it's not? Um, I think that's important. Well, critical race theory is, is not about hate. It's not about racism. It's about the fact that um, laws have been passed. Fourteen Amendment says no person will be denied equal protection of the law. But we know that's not the case. Declaration of Independence. We hold these truths to be self-evident. We are created equal. But that's not the case. So laws have been created. And United States is not adhering to those laws. And we have to figure out why and have conversations about how can we 
move America towards the 14th Amendment, move America towards the Declaration of Independence, that we are all created equal. And that's what we have the conversations about. We empower students to do that. Our, our students, our sixth, seventh, and eighth graders, they have, they know they can pick up their phones and they can call a member of Congress. They've done it in our classes. They've called judges. They have asked questions. They have called commissioners. They have asked questions about inequities in terms of why is this system this way in a white community, but it's not the same way in a black community. And that's critical race theory. We, we look at inequities in the healthcare, inequities in, in, in environmental racism, in, in education, in the criminal system. Why is it that black people are always at the bottom of the scale for everything? And what do we need to do to make certain that the 14th Amendment is creating um, that more perfect union and everybody is protected by law. It's real simple. It's something that the founding fathers want us to do, but we haven't done it and we need to do it. You're listening to Talk Out of School on WBAI 99.5 FM and also streaming on WBAI.org. So I, I, I teach in Far Rockaway and sometimes the kids say the darndest things as we approached, um, Black History Month in February, and now Women's History Month, I heard, you know, some very raw and very diverse opinions on just having a month set aside for for Black History or having a month set aside for, for Women's History. And I, I did find a forum that some of the students that you've been working with, and uh, I, I'm going to play it. And uh, they say very similar things. Just give us a sense of, you know, what's the 3R experience? What do you do? You know, um, what's interesting? Well, I really like the 3Rs. Um, I love going to classes. To me, it's like an outlet to kind of learn about my history, about Black history, which is my history and the history of my ancestors. And I can really learn stuff that my teachers or people in my school can't teach me because, you know, um, my school doesn't really employ people of color to be teachers. So to me, the 3Rs is kind of a learning outlet. To me, the 3Rs is like a new experience because a lot of times at school, kind of like what Reagan said, we have to often teach ourselves and te get lessons from other people to teach us about the things that they don't want to teach us in school and about the lessons that were once sugar-coated in school and we get the real 100% version when we go to the yards and we connect with other students that also feel the same way as us and we get to learn from a child's point of view and from the story that was not sugar-coated. Well, it gives you like a sense of like you have to mature fast because as a black young girl, like the world, you have to adapt to it and you can't really 
sugarcoat yourself and isolate yourself. Mm-hmm. So you have to grow up faster and you, in other people's eyes, you're a woman and you're 20 years old when you're really almost half that age. And it gives a sense of maturity when you're in the new three yards because then you realize that you're still your age and that you don't have to grow up so fast, but you can still educate yourself at the age that you are. No right answer. You get to write the book. And again, it may be a lesson that you learned from the three R's. Um, something that like I would rewrite is because oftentimes in class, they sometimes call slavery the African forced migration. And mm. that was not the case at all. It wasn't, it's not of African forced migration. Um, I would rewrite it as it is, like 100%, even if it makes people uncomfortable, because history isn't something that people should be, I mean, not their favorite topic, not bashing anybody whose favorite topic is history, but history shouldn't make people feel comfortable like it will at times make you uncomfortable and people have to deal with that. It's not always going to be butterfly and rainbow. Sometimes you have to have storm clouds and rain in order to get like educated about the things that you want to hear. Um, just to add on to what Shiloh said, it's not history if you're not learning the truth because history is things that actually happened and things that happened in the past. And it's not a matter of if you're comfortable with it or not, because if, you know, you're not comfortable with reading the actual history, then you're not, you don't know the history because the history is bitter. The history is, it's, it's cold, it's mean, but like, you know, it doesn't matter if you're comfortable with it or not. It's always going to be the truth and it's always going to be what happened. And so it's important that, it's taught no matter if people are comfortable with it or not. Also, I think that in rewriting it, they need to put African-American history, not just in February, because as of right now in social studies, all we're doing is projects about making a food truck and the overview effect on how the earth looks than how we see it through a lens. But I think that they need to put more important history and not just limiting it to one month because oftentimes Teachers wait to teach the truth, and it's not even the truth. It's a 50-50 truth, so part of it's false and part of it's Mm -hmm. true. But you need to put those things first, and you can't teach it off of a textbook, or you can't just teach it off of what you know because you're not completely educated. And you need to learn from not just the people in power, because oftentimes people in power put their own narrative because they already have a base that they have a platform but you need to also learn from the people who have not just been to a, like yesterday we said a three hour workshop or a three hour like thing. You also need to learn just from other kids and what their own experience is because sometimes the rawest truth comes from the youngest kids. Your thoughts on what students are saying, especially in regards to February being set aside for Black History Month or March as Women's History Month, and what you think this generation wants to learn about their own history? A lesson that I learned during the three R's. After the 19 lessons on Black history and the Black Holocaust, we moved into the youth response of philanthropy phase. 
and I surveyed the parents and I asked them, how often do you want to meet? And the parents said four times a year. So we had our first meeting and then it was time to have our second meeting. And it was the saddest moment for me. I felt so guilty because the children, they came onto the Zoom call and they asked, them, asked one another, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a long time. I miss you. Did you read about that in the news? I had no, I couldn't talk to you. And what I realized at that moment, even the most racial justice parents, we don't understand our babies. They want to have these conversations. They don't want the America that we are passing on to them. And so I apologize to the children. We now meet once again monthly. Our lessons are supposed to be 30 minutes. The lesson that we had last month was nearly two hours because it was with members of the Black Panther Party. And the children had so much to talk about and ask about the food program, the education program, what can they do to create a better America? And that's where our kids are. And I think one of the things that we have to grapple with is that only 3% of our educators are black. And black history should not be taught for the purposes of passing a grade. That's why we use a griot. Storytelling. Your story is our story. And it gives the children the opportunity to really get deep into their soul and feel the history. And get it. And you know, some of the things that we do, we play old school music and we ask them to analyze it. You know, what was public enemy talking about? Things that may not happen in school. We give kids a safe space and that's what they miss. And that's what they told us. They miss that safe space to just come together and talk about the world, the America that they want and talk about things that they read in the paper without knowing that they're not going to be judged. Because unfortunately, um, some of our teachers don't understand what it's like to be black in America. I, I believe in the power of storytelling um, and that it be organic and authentic. I think that's what I'm hearing. Um, if someone wants to get more information about the new three R's, um, can you tell us some of the links, some of the social media um, platforms that you're, you're on and, and tell our listeners what they can do to get involved. Oh, the, um, the first thing is they're free to call me. My number is 929-275-6269. One more time, that, that phone number. Our number is 929-275-6269. 
you call me and we can talk about the program and the things that we're doing, whether it's our online program or the animation program. Our website is the new three Rs.org. So it's N E W, the number three R S dot org. And you hit subscribe and you will receive our Black History newsletter. Our Black History newsletter, I proudly say, has a 50% open rate. That is not heard of. So people want to read the materials that our Griot Danny Gore has. And we also publish the Social Justice Voices of Children. So educators and parents, if you want to give your child a digital footprint for the future, you can contact me and I will more than gladly publish your child's social justice voice and it will be included in our anthology. So we're here for all children, not just the children who are part of the new three R's. And our handles for Facebook, LinkedIn, Twitter, and Instagram is the new three R's. T-H-E-N-E-W-3-R-S. So I want to thank you, Dr. Ansari. Your voice is uh, it's welcome. It is powerful, and it's a voice that we need to, to hear. And we want to thank you so much for the work that you are doing in our communities. I, I know that after this, I want to connect with you and see how we can get uh, my school in Far Rockaway connected with you. Thank you okay. so much for joining us. Thank you for giving me the opportunity. And uh, we're doing this because it's a democratic thing to do. As many of you may have heard in the press, there was a People's Budget Campaign Rally that was launched on Tuesday, March 7th by the Tweed Courthouse near City Hall. Scores of New Yorkers joined together to fight the budget cuts that the Mayor Adams administration is proposing for this fiscal year. Cuts to libraries, schools, pre-K, CUNY and core social services. And so I'm going to play for you a sampling of some of the voices that demanded a people's budget. We are calling on the mayor for care and not cuts. My name is Zakia Ansari. I am the advocacy director for the Lions for Quality Education. We are the statewide advocacy group in New York State fighting for equitable funding of our public schools. And we are a proud member of the so here we are once again. I know many people are tired of standing on steps, but we're gonna keep doing it. You know why? Because we haven't gotten justice yet. So first, I want to thank everyone for joining us today, and I want to remind us of why we're here. We are gathered here to demand a people's budget and care not cuts. Care not cuts. I just want to make sure we say that all New Yorkers should have access to housing, life resources to thrive. That's another narrative. It's another word I want to uplift, thrive. We're not talking about surviving. We're talking about thriving. New Yorkers in every district use and rely on our city's public resources, from libraries to parks to schools, to housing vouchers to workforce development. 
guess what? That's the safety looks like. Yeah. But these resources are under attack from a mayor, and last essential services. So let's talk about the facts. Since June 2020, Mayor Eric Adams has reportedly cut core public services, our schools, library, CUNY, 3K, and much more. That ain't right. That ain't right. This man has not been in office this long. He's been cutting our budget this many times. He started with our public schools, cutting more than half a billion dollars at the DOE last June, and then gaslit us to make it think that we didn't see what we were seeing with the real cuts. We are here to demand, oh, I'm sorry, then he announced, let's finish with the facts first before we talk about what the vision is and what we expect from this city. Then he announced further cuts to care-based agencies and workforces in the fall. This included cuts to CUNY, 3K, early education programs, adult literacy programs, and libraries. These are facts, y'all. This is not an opinion. And now he's using this next budget to deepen these cuts and cement them into the city budget. That ain't right. And it's not about safety. It's not about caring. For the mayor, it's about cuts. And these cuts must deeply and harmfully, most deeply and harmfully impact low-income New Yorkers of color who rely on the city's public social safety net, schools, and institutions. We are here to say, not on our watch. We have a different vision, a just vision, one where every part of our city, every district and every block is a nurturing, stable, and thriving, thriving community for all of its residents. The mayor's budget cuts are unacceptable. For a city that has most bill the most billionaires in the world, let me say that again, the most billionaires in the world the world in the world who have only gotten richer during the pan during the pandemic while so many of our community members people standing behind us folks listening to us right now and driving by have not done well these cuts are unacceptable when the city has higher than expected surplus revenue when DOE pays the NYPD for school police while school budget gets slashed, when public schools front the rent for charter schools that don't have to pay up, when NYPD blows through and spends double its overtime budget, when taxpayers pay millions, millions for NYPD abuse and misconduct, and when Department of Corrections has a staffing ratio four times the national average, four times the national average, four times the national average to jail, and abuse people, abuse people, abuse people who have not been convicted of a crime. So just to make it clear, we have the money. This is about priorities. So that's why we're here today. We are here to set it straight. Again, these are facts. These are not our opinions. We're here today to launch the People's Budget Campaign with organizations and grassroots groups and New Yorkers, New Yorkers from all across the city to demand care, not cuts. Not right. <laughs> so before I pass it to our next speaker, let's talk about what it is, the vision that we see, what we expect of this budget. Here are our basic demands. And let's be clear, this is the floor, this ain't the ceiling. The least we need from this budget, below which will not, we will not accept, below which the city cannot go. No cuts to public schools, invest in public education. Period. No cuts to CUNY, invest in CUNY and student support. Yeah. Period. No cuts to libraries, restore funding for libraries. Yeah. No cuts 
Rico to make sure we get a people's budget that at a minimum prioritizes care over cuts. Everywhere they go. Uh, so next I want to bring up Maria, who's a parent and an educator. So give it up for Maria. Hi everyone, what an amazing crowd.
because research shows that 90% of the brain development occurs in the first five years of life. Right. So doesn't it make sense to ensure that we aren't investing in our youngest minds yeah. at the most critical time of their brain development? Doesn't it make sense to ensure that our parents have access to childcare that is high quality and accessible in their own neighborhoods and communities yeah. Yeah. and that fulfills their needs as working parents? Yes. 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 Research shows that for every dollar invested in childcare, the return is $13. So not only does investing in childcare make sense for our kids, investing in 3K and UPK and expanding it so that every kid has access to it, but it also makes financial sense. Yes. Unfortunately, today we're talking about cuts. Boo! Cuts. We're not talking about investments. We're talking about cuts to the programs that our kids need the most at the time when they need it the most. There are half a billion cuts in this next fiscal year and more than 1.5 million, billion, billion with a B, y'all, through fiscal year 2026. That ain't right. That, that ain't, ain't right. right. So I'm here today to urge this administration to make investments at the most support pro working parents by expanding early care and education programs. More 3K, universal 3K, universal Come 3K, yes. more child care in every single neighborhood. Yes. Not cuts. We need more child care so working parents can work. Yes. I urge the administration to expand the much needed programs like 3K so that children are learning, they're taken care of in safe and nurturing environments. They're working to be able to start school on the right foot. Investing in childcare in 3K and UPK is good policy. Let's ensure that working parents feel supported to raise their families in New York City and that every child in every borough in every neighborhood has the right foundation to grow and thrive. The so PSR are talking about thriving. We need our families to thrive. Yeah. Uh, Selena is connected to one of the most powerful organizing groups in this city. So Selena Trowell from Vocal New York. Y'all know I'm short. Good morning. Good morning. I need more energy. Good morning. Good morning. So again, my name is Selena Trollo. I'm the Homelessness Union organizer from Vocal, New York. And I'm also a part of this incredible, incredible family called the People's Clan. So I'm here to talk a little bit about what's going on. So some politicians and pundits are saying this isn't an austerity budget because New York has a has a one hundred billion dollar budget. But I'm here to tell you that it is an austerity budget. It's an austerity budget for vocal members. That's right. I want to let you know really quick who vocal members are. You. Me. People impacted by HIV and AIDS. People impacted by the drug war. People impacted by homelessness and mass incarceration. Right. It's not, excuse me, it is an austerity budget for social safety nets and housing services, which have been under-resourced for decades. Yeah. It is an austerity budget, it's not an austerity budget actually, for the NYPD or Department of Corrections. Right. For some reason, those agencies always escape cuts. In fact, they get bigger budgets and run through over and over. Right. And, but it's an austerity budget for low-income New Yorkers, 
who need SNAP benefits to feed their families, who are relying on city aid to stop landlords from evicting them, and to get out of shelter. And guess what? Those services are already bare bones. That's right. So what are we snatching? We need more investments in housing and social services. Instead, we are fighting for our lives with this budget. Let me be clear about vocal members again and who they are. They're New Yorkers fighting for their lives. Dying and being incarcerated every day. Being over-policed and under-protected every single day. So we are fighting for our lives. Be very clear about that. People are getting evicted right now because the city has too many vacancies at HRA and can't process housing vouchers fast enough. People are stuck in inhumane conditions at shelter systems and they are losing housing placements because of staff shortages. People are going hungry because HRA does not have enough staff to process SNAP and food stamps. People are suffering right now because this mayor has bad budget priorities. And while we know it's bad, what he's really telling us is that we don't matter. We are not his priorities. Communities like Brownsville, and I'm gonna say it proudly because I'm from there, are not his priorities. It's cute when people wanna throw it in their little articles, throw it in their tweet threads, make a little quick, you know, media cast and talk about Brownsville, but I can tell you about it. We are suffering, but we are still the roses that grow from concrete. Look at me. But this budget impacts so many communities, like Brownsville, South Bronx, so many others. South Jamaica. South Jamaica, Queens. You were right. That was from my mind. Yes. Rockaway. Rockaways. Give it up. Because he cares more about millionaires backroads in his campaigns than New Yorkers in need of housing, support, and care. So I want to be very clear, and I don't need to look at my phone and say it because I mean it from the bottom of my heart. As a person that works with people directly impacted. As somebody directly impacted from the Brownsville Ocean Hill community. As somebody who does this work every day as a social worker and an organizer. We are putting you on notice, Brother Mayor Eric Adams. Be here every day. We will not be afraid to call you out. So hell with all identity politics and all of that. We understand skin folk ain't no it's kin folk. We are here to fight for a people's budget. We are here to fight for the people's plan. Put it in Put it in real compassion. Understanding that housing is the foundation of a healthy community. We need our communities fed. We need our grandmothers and our uncles home. We need a roof over our heads that's safe and permanent. So we're going to continue to fight, tax those rich, make them take their fair share, and bring this budget home to the people. We come to the people's budget, so we want to bring up the people's public advocate, Johnny Williams. Love and light, everybody.
I'm glad to see y'all out here and sorry to see y'all out here at the same time. We should be here fighting for the budget. There should already be one in place. There are a lot of communities who are feeling the brunt of many decisions that have been made for decades. A lot of communities are dealing with harm. A lot of communities, uh, you know, we often look at gun violence as the metric. But when we put out a report just a few months ago, a little last year maybe, and it actually looked at those communities that had the most gun violence, and those are the same communities that had the most COVID deaths. Come on. Those are the same communities that had the highest amounts of chronic absence in school. They had the highest amounts of mental health calls. They had the highest amounts of homelessness and people unable to afford their home. So there are a lot of issues in those communities that if we deal with it, I guarantee you some violence will not look the same. And what frustrates me now is that we lost tens of thousands of New Yorkers to COVID during this pandemic. And the one thing that I and others kept saying that we can do in their honor was not to return to normal. Not to do the same things that got us here in the first place that caused more people to die than happen. Particularly in the communities I just spoke about, the black, brown, immigrant, the working class. And the type of cuts that we're seeing now are the type of cuts that we saw year after year before the pandemic. And that's what got us here. So why do we want to do the same thing that caused tens of thousands of people to die after the pandemic than we did before? Our leadership should be trying to do something new. You cannot have a true picture of public safety when you cut every single agency except for uniform, including NYPD. And then on top of that, the governor's budget didn't say, let me see how much money I can give you to restore the cuts to those agencies. She said, I'm going to give you money to provide overtime for the NYPD. What if the, NY, what if the Department of Health and Mental Hygiene had overtime? What if our social workers had access to the overtime? What would happen then? What would these Revenue. Right. Period. 
It's just sitting there. We cannot change the lives of people unless we change the system that got us here. So let's change the system. Let's finally get a budget that is helping people not continue to harm them. That's all we have time for today. Thank you to my special guest, Dr. Starita Ansari. Please consider becoming a member of WBAI. Donate at 212-209-2950. Make a donation to WBAI at 212-209-2950. Or you can make a donation at our website at WBAI.org. Please join the fight for a collective vision for a city that provides dignity, care, and justice for all New Yorkers. Let's fight Together for the People's Budget, go to peoplesplan.nyc. Again, that website is peoplesplan.nyc. Thank you all for joining us today at Talk at a School. Remember, Tribe of Love, that love always wins. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds whisper. Don't you know? Talking about a revolution sounds whisper.